You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is episode number 12. Today, we have Dr. Darren Burke, the CEO of Outcast Foods, a global leader in the upcycling movement. Darren is a celebrated science-based entrepreneur focused on plant-based and social impact ideas to save the planet, which he did when he created his company, Outcast Foods, which is using his proprietary technology and localized supply chains to upcycle fruits and vegetables and turn them into nutrient-dense natural health products. Darren is a tenured university professor who first commercialized his scientific research into new categories of sports nutrition products with his company, Rivalis. He grew that company from inception to a $22 million annual revenue company within five years, followed by a successful exit. Darren is an award-winning business leader and a frequent presenter on topics of nutrition, circular economy, and climate change solutions. Darren, thank you for joining us at the Onside Podcast, and welcome to our show. I'm happy to have you here today. Thank you. Good to be here, Alex. So in our intro, I gave a little bit about your bio and all the things that you're doing with Outcast, but I thought maybe if you could start us off at the beginning a little bit and tell us a little bit about who you are and where you came from. Awesome. Well, thank you for the opportunity. So, I mean, for me, pretty typical modest upbringing, starting in just outside of Halifax. Actually, I grew up outside of the city here. I was an athlete for many years and went to university and discovered I was a better student than an athlete, so started focusing <laughs> on school and made my way to get a master's degree and then a PhD. And uh, before I knew it, I feel like I was a university professor and living the dream working in the university setting and doing research. Oh. And um, so, yeah, so I don't know, pretty modest start and uh, interesting making my way through the different levels of academic world. Mm. And what did you study in, in university? How did you uh, get interested? I know you have a science background. Did you always have a science background? And did that lead you to your next thing with your PhD? Well, no, again, I think it's interesting, the whole sports background. So I played hockey like most kids in Canada growing up. And in high school, I was pretty decent at hockey. And I also did flat water canoe kayak. So when I started university, I thought, well, do a phys ed degree. So I was a phys ed student and really enjoyed the science aspect of it. And one of my professors said, hey, you're good in science. Why don't you try to do a master's degree in science? And so he took me under his wing and brought me into his lab and really set the stage for what I became. Mm. I think even now, I, could, I think that was probably the first point in my life where I thought there's a future in staying in school and becoming an <laughs> academic, which I hadn't really heard of previous. Like, I, to be honest, I didn't really know much beyond mm -hmm. going to university and then trying to figure out what happened after that. So I was fortunate enough to meet a really great person that saw something in me. Uh -huh. So you decided to go down this path of doing the master's. And was it there when you did your master's that you kind of continued with your interest in sports and nutrition? Is that kind of where that developed? How did you get down that track? Yeah, you know, I was always fascinated by, just curious, I think in many ways, and fascinated by the human body, like what you can put yourself through as an athlete training and then how you refuel yourself and to become bigger and stronger and mm. faster. So when I had the opportunity to do research, the logical step was to work with athletic populations. So that's what it was for me. So I did a master's degree and 
started working on exercise interventions and diet and the impact it would have on athletic performance and a person's body composition. And that's when I discovered the scientific side of it and started digging in more heavily into the science mm-hmm. and, and the physiology of the human body, which, again, set me up for what I would do in a PhD, which is very cellular and very specific mm-hmm. to muscle tissue. So you're kind of merging a little bit of the science and also the sports and the athleticism and uh, nutrition. How did you go from being a PhD to feeling like you wanted to create your own company? Because Outcast is not your only company. You know, you've gone down this path before. You know, there's not a lot of folks who are academics who decide to uh, start their own businesses. How did you make that leap? It's true. It's, you know, it's funny. <laughs> it would seem like I sat back one day when I was really young and kind of mapped this out. It didn't happen like that. It's just, mm. it was uh, one thing after the next, you know, it's just one little step at a time. And I for me, I, I loved what I did. I loved being a grad student and I, I loved staying in school and then to become a university professor and to continue to do research on things that I was really quite interested in was, I thought, I had the greatest job ever. Mm. And my research got me in, in front of a lot of business people because I was working on testing different products to improve a person's body composition or their athletic performance. So. I ended up going to conferences and then mm-hmm. uh, was invited by a few business leaders at different big companies and asked if I would help with product development. I think it was probably my third or fourth year of working at the university that I got exposed to mm-hmm. the business side of scientific literature and publications and doing product development. And that really, I feel like in terms of my business exposure, it, mm-hmm. it opened my eyes to see what science could be in terms of market and mm-hmm. marketing in in a product. And uh, that was a huge eye-opener for me, being exposed to business leaders developing products for mm-hmm. a global audience. So that was the foray into it. And then, uh, you know, I, I stayed working at the university, but I think forever changed as a result of being exposed to the business side of, of scientific research and what it could mean from a product standpoint. What did your colleagues back in the university world think about this when you started to get the business bug? <laughs> well, it's so funny. Like as an academic, I think we're fairly stereotypical in terms of, you know, the professor type with the little patches on the elbows of the <laughs> of the sports coats and the khaki pants and the, you, you know, you can kind of see a professor a mile away. I don't know. I think at the beginning, I thought I think they really enjoyed it because I brought a, a new characteristic to the department, and I uh, certainly attracted a lot of interest from students, which was really nice. And we had a lot of funding uh, for the first time in a long time at a very small school, so I think it was good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, in some ways, it was challenging because I would travel a lot, both academically presenting and then mm-hmm. also travel for business. And I think. It added some additional strain, I suppose, on my colleagues where people would say, where's Dr. Burke? Oh, he's away. <laughs> he's presenting. Or, but I, I had a terrific supportive group, no question. I, I don't think I could have ended up in a better place. Being at the small school, St. of X here, just in Antigonish, was an awesome, awesome place for me to be. I, there's absolutely nothing I would do different. So you're getting a little bit more exposure. You're getting out there. How did you decide to start your first business or your first company? How did you... And I guess you had to sort of say, I love you, St. FX, but I got to try slightly different things. So how did you make that decision or what pushed you over the edge saying, I, I love being a 
professor, but I'm going to try something new. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting now. It's uh, I made that leap in 2008, so I can look back on it and reflect and can tell you for certain I was afraid. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a big decision. I had a tenured position and by all accounts, a, a terrific job and loved it. Mm-hmm. But I had this bug. I had this interest in starting my own business and starting my own company. So I couldn't sit on it any longer. So I pulled the trigger and started the business. And in some ways, I think it was good that I didn't know much about business because mm-hmm. I think had I known what I know now, I probably would have been too afraid to do it because mm-hmm. I went into, by all accounts, one of the busiest, most competitive industries. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, selling protein supplements and like the most crowded category there is in mm-hmm. terms of consumer packaged goods. And to go into it not knowing much about it. Uh, in some ways was kind of silly, I suppose, but Mm -hmm. in other ways it was good because I didn't know enough about it to be afraid to forge along and and try to do something in it. Mm. And I got really lucky with a great breaks and turned it into a really big business. That's interesting you say that. Do you know what spanks are? Of course. Everybody everybody knows what spanks are. (laughs) Well, I don't know if men know what spanks are, but they're, you know, like special garments for women to wear under their clothes to keep you nice and shapely. And uh, there was an interview with the CEO of Spanx, and she was saying the same thing. She kind of came up with this idea. She didn't really know anything about business uh, or what I would say that she didn't know anything, but she, you know, but had that sort of um, mindset of nothing's holding me back and people can't tell me no. And she just like pushed and pushed and pushed. And I think I'm kind of hearing the same thing is that uh, you took a leap of faith and maybe sometimes not knowing everything actually kind of ended up being a, a bit of a benefit. Agreed. I mean, if, uh, to be mentioned in the same sentence as, I think her name is Sarah Blakeney, yeah. um, I think is uh, is spectacular. I think one of the what, first female billionaires, self-made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, what a terrific story. And I think, I think in many ways, that's kind of a product of success uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs is going into a, mm-hmm. a category where you know very little about it, but you're pretty determined mm-hmm. and nothing's going to stop you. I think I heard that uh, I listened to her uh, in an interview and she said uh, she didn't even know anything about VC or like she just she was just hustling. She was just trying to make it happen. So that's great. And how long did you have uh, your first company before you exited? Because you had a pretty successful exit there as well, right? Yeah. So it was five and a half years from start to finish. And it was a whirlwind. I, I at the time, you know, I feel like Every week and every month, it felt like a month and a quarter. And, <laughs> and uh, I kind of tease our key executive team now, like a week here mm-hmm. is like a month somewhere else or a quarter. And they start to get it after a while because there's a lot of activity in, mm-hmm. in, with with a startup. So, yeah, it was five years start to finish. I started it with uh, a $50,000 line of credit on my already big student loan. Mm-hmm. And uh it grew to over $20 million in revenue in five and a half years, followed by an exit. So it was, uh, I reflect on that time, I, I pinched myself. I got really lucky and it worked out well. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of a, a great story that I'm trying to repeat, which <laughs> <laughs> well, e- easier said than done. Well, tell me a little bit about Outcast. I mean, you're into nutrition and health and sports and all these things. How did you get the idea for Outcast? How did that come about? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's been an amazing journey. And I think it's all related to my steps along the way, like academic steps and then starting a business in the consumer packaged goods space and then having sold a business and then having time off to reflect on 
on all things in my life. We moved our family to the West Coast, became plant-based, and I think through that mm-hmm. vegan journey, I started in looking at the impact of food choices on the planet. And prior to that, of course, my early research was the impact of food choices on your health and fitness. Mm-hmm. So I think the combination of effects all lining up made me become really aware of the food and the food supply chain, and that's when I discovered this giant issue of food waste. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, with my uh, my scientific side of my brain and then my mm-hmm. consumer packaged goods experience, I thought it's a great opportunity, one, to do something really good to give back and, and have impact from a planet standpoint and a people standpoint, but also mm-hmm. what a great opportunity for a new business to create a, a new category mm-hmm. uh, and this whole new category of upcycled food, which is just exploding now. And it's only in the last year that upcycled food and Mm -hmm. beverage is a thing, which is really exciting. I'm embarrassed to say that three (laughs) years ago when I started the business, I didn't know what upcycling was. Mm. Um, You know, I I had this idea that there had to be nutrition left in this food that was going to waste. And that was the idea that was the impetus for getting started. Like, how do you figure out how to get that nutrition Mm -hmm. out of that food before it goes to waste was really the impetus. And then Two years later, um, it's being list- upcycled food is being listed as the next big thing in food and beverage. So, mm. you know, I'd like to I'd like to say that I, you know, was <laughs> part of all this, but really, it's just serendipity. It's just timing and being in the right place and doing the right things at the right time. Well, for our listeners who can't see you here today, or they can check out online, you know, your website so they can get an idea of what the product is like, can you explain a little bit about what the product line is and what is it, uh, what is Outcast Food making? Yeah, so it's a terrific question because when I meet people and they ask, you know, what do you Mm -hmm. do? And they ask my kids, what do you do? It's so, uh, it's funny when my kids were really young and you know, we might have been renovating a house. They thought I was a carpenter and, you know, now they think I'm a garbage man in some ways. Um, upcycling, I think, is um, it's something for us all to be mindful of. Upcycling is, has gone on for a while. There's been some really terrific entrepreneurs that have taken the leather off of decommissioned airplanes and made high fashion purses mm-hmm. and handbags. And there's a lot of great examples of upcycling in other industries. But in food and beverage, it, it's a recent thing. Mm-hmm. And so what we do at Outcast is we take that food that was destined for landfill mm-hmm. And we process it and turn it into a high-purity, nutrient-dense powders that have two- to three-year shelf life. So in essence, food that was going to go to waste and do harmful things to the climate, such as greenhouse gases Mm -hmm. and groundwater pollution and all those bad things, we save those fruits and vegetables and the nutrition in them and then bring them back so that they can be used in uh, other human food-related products. So it could be food, it could be a smoothie, it could Mm -hmm. be a... An energy bar, it could be a cosmetic, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. There's a whole host of uses that this food can be used for. Mm-hmm. That's that's good as opposed to bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I've told you this before. I think you've got some really interesting flavors that you have. I think there was a, is it Fruit Loops? Or it's like a fruity, <laughs> fruity, fruity flavor? Yeah, well, we... we <laughs> Maybe not Fruit Loops. <laughs> we don't call it that because of, of course, the, the, the popular cereal. But yeah. yes, there's a bowl of what looks like Fruit Loops on uh-huh. the front. It's called Fruit Explosion. So mm-hmm. what we've done is we've created a protein powder that includes upcycled food in it. And we have a greens product. Our number one seller is Super Greens. Mm-hmm. And we just launched a line of uh, individual products. So everything from we have uh, beet powder, apple powder, broccoli powder, Mm -hmm. kale powder, individual ingredients that, 
you can make your own recipes from. But we do have ready-to-drink protein powders where you just add water to them or mm-hmm. a greens product. You add water, you shake it up, and you have a terrific, nutritious, mm-hmm. upcycled uh, product to consume. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to tell my niece Maria about those. Just the other day she was saying that uh, – when she wakes up in the morning, she's not the most awake and alert in the morning. And uh, she's like, can we just make smoothies for breakfast? Can we just make smoothies? So I was like, okay, I think we got to do just the smoothies. <laughs> the smoothie thing is a thing now. I think more and more people, like there's a terrific way to sneak uh, healthy nutrition into your, either with yourself or for your kids. If you, if you have kids, it's a terrific way to sneak it in. And then if you want to add protein to it, you can boost it with protein. If you want to boost it with uh, with kale powder. You can boost it with kale powder. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of things you can do to give it a nutritional boost just to make it that much more healthy. Now, your company, Outcast, you know, you're, you're talking about upcycled foods and taking what I would say cast off foods that are otherwise nutritionally dense. They have all the nutrients that you need in them. You know, I think that you're kind of at the the cutting edge. And as you mentioned, people are just becoming familiar with this idea of upcycled food. What's been the reaction from people when they hear about upcycled food or taking uh, waste products and making them into something else? Like what's been the consumer response? Are people interested in that? Are they scared of that? We've had other folks on our program talking about insect protein and things like that. Are people open to the idea of upcycled food? You usually get one or the other. They're extremely <laughs> excited and, and want to try it, or uh-huh. they're extremely grossed out. I think, <laughs> you know, I think most of us, when we think about quote unquote food waste, I think our mind goes to that green bin, the bottom of the green bin, which has got gross, slimy, awful mm-hmm. material in the bottom of it. But when you look into the food waste continuum, waste is happening always from that farmer's field all the way through to the grocery store shelf where they have to cull the material because it's past its best before Mm -hmm. date. But the farmer's field is an interesting end of that food waste continuum where approximately Mm. 25% of food is just rejected for cosmetic reasons. Mm -hmm. So it could be too big, it could be misshapen, it could have a bump in it or a bruise on it or a stem poke, let's say from an apple. Mm -hmm. And the food buyers that move food from the farm to the grocers and the retailers, they don't buy misshapen or oddly sized Mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables and it simply gets discarded. Oftentimes it gets left on the farmer's field and they Mm -hmm. plow it under or they have to pay to get it trucked away. So it's a product of, I think, all of us becoming pretty particular in how we select everything from the apple that we pick or the Mm -hmm. banana if it's too brown or whatever we we won't pick it and Mm -hmm. so you know when I talk to really old people they remember (laughs) getting the seconds and you'd eat grated out fruits and vegetables nowadays it's only tier one fruits and vegetables Mm -hmm. that typically make it to the supermarket and Mm -hmm. supermarkets want to have the brightly colored shelves. So when customers walk in, they see this beautiful red and greens Mm -hmm. on the shelf and they're all approximately the same size and shape. And Mm -hmm. we've grown accustomed to it. We've grown accustomed to eating a certain way, but by virtue of the way we select fruits and vegetables, it's resulted in approximately 30 to 40% of all fruit and vegetables just going to waste. Wow. Yeah, staggering. Wow. So yes, we get mixed reviews. The really exciting and interesting part Mm -hmm. is that the young people, they have this all figured out. They're mm-hmm. so accepting of everything that's different. Mm-hmm. And same thing is true with fruits and vegetables. And they love this concept of sustainable nutrition. And that's essentially what upcycling is. They see mm-hmm. and understand the importance of doing their part to help our planet more so than, 
I suppose, some of the uh, <laughs> the, the older cohorts, <laughs> who if we just get through to the older cohorts, we're all set, will be an explosion. Yeah, well, young people today, young whippersnappers, are, uh, they're definitely at the leading edge of sustainability, looking at the impacts of climate, impacts of food security, and all of those kinds of issues. So definitely open. And I think many companies are kind of trying to take a look at what's needed for the future to be sustainable. I hope that that trend continues and widens as things kind of move forward. When you think about, we're here in Nova Scotia, and your company's based here, and you're focused in this kind of agri-food, nutrition, sports, upcycling, all kinds of great crossover spaces, alternative protein. There's a really interesting environment that's happening here in Nova Scotia around that. Do you see some opportunities for companies in Nova Scotia that are thinking about this kind of space? What's the growing trend that's happening there? It's a terrific uh, shift that's actually happened in our region. I think a, a really positive shift. I think even in the last five years, there's been, it's just getting better all the time. I think there was a period where young people, when we graduated from university, you would go somewhere else and mm-hmm. you'd get experience and then eventually make your way back here if you were fortunate enough. Because most Maritimers always want to be in the Maritimes. So. <laughs> It's true, I think, in many ways. And so for me, like through my academic training and then even work experience, I lived in Ontario, I lived in Vancouver and and lived in different areas and then made my way back to Atlantic Canada. I think that's true of so many other Mm. founders that have started companies. And I think by virtue of other founders having had experience elsewhere and then coming back and creating companies and then creating a grounds for young people to get trained and Mm -hmm. then stay here, has really fostered a terrific growth in the the food and beverage space. And then we've had some terrific exits here too. So Mm -hmm. whenever you build a company and you have good people working for you and then you have an exit, then all of a sudden you have the seeding of a lot of other smart, talented Mm -hmm. people and they go out and do their own thing. And so I think we've gone through a few generations of that, Mm -hmm. which has really strengthened that whole agricultural and food and beverage aspect where I think Halifax probably was most known, I think, from a technology Mm -hmm. uh, hub. And again, related to some terrific exits and stories here and terrific founders and entrepreneurs. I think now we're finally starting to catch up on the food and egg space, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. where tech was probably 10 years ago. So that'll continue to evolve. And I think, if nothing else, this pandemic state has really put Mm. Nova Scotia on the map for Mm -hmm. everyone wanting Mm. to come and live here. (laughs) And that's bringing a lot of talented people here that otherwise wouldn't have thought about moving to Nova Scotia because the terrible joke years ago is Canada ended either at Toronto or Montreal. But Mm. now we've got, you know, Atlantic Canada and a lot of really successful Mm. people and companies doing great things. And I'd like to think that Outcast is in that category because Mm. for us, we're geographically based here, but our business reach is global. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like, you were mentioning there's kind of this change that's happening over the last five years. Do you feel that the talent that's available here, as well as the supports that are available from different agencies and things like that have adapted to what's happening? Or how do you feel that that's sort of evolved? Yeah, I think our, our system is just getting better. There's more support. There's more more awareness, I think, even from the government standpoint, too. Like hmm. when the government supporting agencies are involved in companies that are doing great and innovative things, of course, the, mm-hmm. the folks on the government side get exposed to that as well and get educated about it. And I think 
We have terrific universities here, so we have a, an unbelievable talent pool to pull from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's just it's getting progressively better all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the young people that don't have the experience can get matched up with those folks here that are quite experienced mm-hmm. because we do have a bit of a divide still, like with some older entrepreneurs that are starting and doing some mm-hmm. really cool things, getting matched up with young, mm-hmm. uh, innovative, new minds and technical minds that mm-hmm. can bridge the gap between some of the technical deficiencies that maybe some founders may lack as it pertains to food and beverage. Mm. What do you think is missing here in Nova Scotia, like in our innovation ecosystem? Is there anything that's kind of missing that you think would, you know, if we had this one thing or a couple of things that it, we would like, we'd blow it out of the water. I don't know that there's really much missing, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I don't like the fact that it takes multiple airplane trips to get anywhere <laughs> significantly. It would be really nice if Halifax flew directly to LA or, mm-hmm. you know, everyone complains about travel uh, mm-hmm. to and from here because you've got to spend two hours on a plane to get to a central hub and then from there somewhere else. So, I really think that we have accumulated enough of the right stuff here that more and more good companies are going to keep coming out of Atlanta, Canada. I really think that that's the case. I think even the statistics that you see in some of the great reports that come out of mm-hmm. other great you know, Atlanta Canadian publications would indicate the same. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe um, I have a couple more questions for you. You know, one of the things we had talked about a little bit earlier, and I'm always curious because you, you grew a successful company and exited, and now you've got Outcast, and you talked a lot about your own education and background and training and the things you learned along the way. Is there something that for an entrepreneur that's starting off in this space, you know, whether it's alternative protein or maybe even thinking about uh, nutrition or things like that, or another space, is there something that you learned along the way that you feel is like really critical for a young entrepreneur to get their hands on? And that could be someone who's a technical founder or not a technical founder. Was there something kind of along your journey that you're like, oh, man, I wish I had known that? Well, there's a lot of things that I wish I had done better, for sure. One is I wish I was better in the kitchen. I was a better cook, <laughs> <laughs> especially as it pertains to my, my business. Like, mm-hmm. I can I can come up with terrific formulations for products. But, you know, the alternative protein space uh, is, is an exploding space mm-hmm. for a lot of really important reasons. Like, we, as a, as a global community, we're struggling to figure out how to feed our growing population. So... Alternative protein sources uh, will continue to be a really growing category. So if you're technically really smart and <laughs> and particularly good at the culinary arts, I mm-hmm. think that's a terrific combination. Like if you can think about ways to take, mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's face it, some of these different protein plant-based mm-hmm. uh, alternatives and turn it into an alternative protein, I think that mm-hmm. that's... That's going to take some tinkering in the kitchen and, and mm-hmm. somebody that has the, the know-how in order to create something that is going to be mm-hmm. tasty. Because at the end of the day, we won't eat something. You know, the whole Buckley's commercial, that just worked for Buckley's. It tastes awful, but it works. Oh, my husband in, loves that stuff. In the food space, though, <laughs> it doesn't work. You've got to have something that tastes really good. Otherwise, it's not going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. My husband, he loves that Buckley's. And I'm always like, how can you how can you have that stuff? It's so disgusting. He's like, but that's why it works. And I'm like, does it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, that's a really interesting idea. And especially, I would I guess I would say, you know, the world is uh, so much more of a global, we're, you know, we're so globally connected and there's so many different food and taste and smell profiles. So I think that would be actually really interesting if you had the technical expertise as well as an international flavor, I don't know, magic that you could tap into a bunch of different markets. That would be really interesting, actually. Yeah. And, you know, so when I was going through grad school, I lived with a guy that he grew up with five older sisters and he was an amazing cook. Like he made sauces Mm. for things like just by scratch. Right. Mm. So if you have uh, either the interest or the training in that side of it, I think that that would go a long way. Interesting. And, um, you know, we talked about this kind of at the very beginning where you said you started off in school and and doing sports and then you did your PhD and then you became an entrepreneur. Do you feel like becoming an entrepreneur is like something that's in your nature or do you think it's something that's nurtured? That's a terrific question. I think it's both. I think it's a little bit of both. I think all of us have some mixture of that. And Mm -hmm. uh, I always say play to your strengths. Like if you are naturally born into becoming entrepreneurial and innovative and have a mind for it, then that's great. I think on the nurture side, I think you can learn a lot of important skills Mm -hmm. to help you be a better entrepreneur and vice versa. Like you could be a Mm -hmm. very sound business leader that might not think that you're entrepreneurial because maybe you think you're not born with the, mm. the requisite to do it. I think you can expose yourself and learn. So I think it's a combination. I really mm. do. Do you think there's an element of uh, risk taking in being an entrepreneur? You know what? It's so funny. <laughs> the uh, I love that question. And I've been asked that. Like a lot of people that don't know me very well think that I'm an incredible risk taker. Mm. But those that know me really well know that I'm very calculated. Mm. It's very, very, uh, everything I do is mitigated risk. Mm-hmm. Um it might seem like on mm-hmm. the outside that that's all I do every day. It's just like spin the dial or <laughs> swing for the fences. Uh-huh. I definitely swing for the fences every single day, but it's very well thought out. Well, I think that that's a very keen distinction actually to make because some people think um, there are people that have that eureka idea and they're able to just sort of go with it. But a lot of times kind of being strategic about the risks that you take or where you apply your emphasis on things makes all the difference. If you're just kind of randomly wheeling and dealing and just going down different paths, that usually just uh, ends in disaster. <laughs> it, it always does. <laughs> I think that one fundamental thing if you know, from a takeaway message would be is be, be good at making decisions mm. and know that you know, you need to make one. And even if you make a wrong one, you just need to make a different one after that, because it's a series of those decisions that ultimately create the roadmap for where you're, where you've been and where you're going. Mm. That's interesting. I have a a friend years ago who said to me, I was, I was contemplating taking a job and I was like, I don't know if I should take this job or, you know, I don't know if it's the right one. And, And she said to me, she was like, just take the job. If you don't like it, you can go take another one. And I was like, oh yeah. That makes so much sense, you know, but you, you, you get fixated on trying to make the decision uh, that you don't. And uh, I, I remember my father years ago saying the same thing, but in reverse, which is not making a decision is making a decision. You're choosing, but you're you're not actively making a, a, a choice about what you're going to do, but you are making a decision. So true. Yeah. Whether it's delay or, you know procrastinating, which everyone does that a little bit. But yeah, that's interesting. And I think maybe my my last final question for you, at Onside, we're really interested in fostering uh, inclusive, innovation-driven entrepreneurship. And uh, I was curious, what does innovation-driven entrepreneurship 
mean to you? Or what does innovation-based entrepreneurship mean to you? Well, first of all, I think being an entrepreneur, I think, means being innovative. I think at the end of the day, that's the essence. That's the core. Like, it's it's about figuring out a new way to do something, a new way that's going to be better, that's going to create opportunity and create a new category or create a new product or create jobs. And I think being an entrepreneur means being innovative. And it could be something as simple of uh, a minor iteration in a product. I think about coffee, like coffee's been around forever. (laughs) And then who'd have thought like bulletproof coffee comes onto the scene and that brand blows up. And it's because of just, they took a really popular thing and added something new to it. So I think that that's being an entrepreneur. I think, and again, the the core of it is being innovative uh, in how you approach everything that you do in business. So I think the two go hand in hand. That's awesome. Well, Darren, I want to thank you for your time today. Really appreciated you coming in and sitting down with us for our podcast. If folks want to learn more about Outcast or learn about you, what's the best way that they can do that? They can check us out at outcastfoods.com and they can get in touch with me easily. It's just my initials, db at outcastfoods.com. Darren, thanks so much for joining us at the Onside podcast. I really enjoyed our time today. To learn more about Onside, please follow us on Twitter at OnsideNow. Thanks so much.